Hello and welcome back to Avatar the Podcast. Today we're going to be covering part two of the Day of Black Sun. Yay! Sorry, I'm eating cookies right now. Sorry. Everyone knows <laughs> if you follow my stream that I bought 60 cookies. Well, not individually, like individually wrapped 60 things of cookies off Amazon. So just a big box. I'm trying to make my way through them and I'm I'm getting cookied out, is what I'm learning. The limit. The <laughs> limit has been 52. 52 out of 60 was your limit. Now okay. I'm like, no more, please. No more. <laughs> no more cookies. No more. <laughs> Something I do want to note about the numbering of this episode, if you will. Netflix. Mm-hmm. And by Netflix, I mean, I guess also Netflix. But the original production crew kind of mislabeled these episodes, which threw me for a loop. So if you pay attention to the title cards, part one was chapter 10 part two Mm -hmm. is also chapter 10 which feels like maybe a mistake to me that's so funny they saw i bet you they saw day of black sun and were like oh yeah chapter 10 it's on my (laughs) list right here check and check and like part two yeah sure so i I guess you can headcanon your way out of this by saying it's really one story just split up into two parts. So you could say like chapter 10, part one, chapter 10, part two, if you need to like kind of get your way around it. But I found yeah. that very interesting. I was watching this episode in preparation and it said chapter 10. And I was like, but day of black sun part one was chapter 10. Mm-hmm. And I got very confused for a minute, which is to be fair about average for a day that ends in Y for me, but still it did. I wasn't expecting my <laughs> confusion to be based off of the episode numbering, but if anyone's wondering, no, you're not crazy like me. Yeah. They did say episode 10 twice. The question is, do they fix it for the next episode? Does the next episode jump to 12? Chapter I 12? did not look that far ahead. So we're going to have to see. It'll be an adventure either way. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Before we jump into part two of Day of Black Sun, we do have more five-star reviews to cover. Yes. The first one comes from C. Pritchard and they write, Dear Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg, I love when it gets the full names. It feels very formal. Mr. Booster Greg. Mr. Booster Greg. That was a fun one. I love your podcast. The only reason I downloaded Apple Podcasts was to give you a five-star review. And instead of writing five-star, there are five yellow emote stars. Stars. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) I really enjoy your commentary on the Avatar fam. Your friend, C. Pritchard. Thank you so much. Thank you, C. Pritchard. Thank you for going that extra step. And going through the Apple podcast form, because that that really does mean a lot to us. And it really does help with people finding Avatar, the podcast and us making new friends to enjoy our experiences with as we go through. So thank you. Thank you so much that this is also how we've reached a pinnacle. I didn't check today, but a pinnacle of number 14 on the after shows rated like we're not even in the top 20. We're like touch and go with the top 15 I right know, now. That's so crazy. Is you all help us do that with your reviews and your, your word of mouth. So thank you so much. Thank you. It is 100% all of you are doing that. This podcast has reached that high. So mm-hmm. from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we hope that everyone continues on their avatar journey with us as we go through not only the rest of book three, not only the comic books, not only the Kyoshi novels, not only Korra, but whatever happens after that. Amazing. I feel like I'm part of the Avatar gang I do at too. the beginning of our journey, not knowing what's coming because yeah. we haven't gotten there yet. Oh, we'll, we'll get there at some point. Or maybe we won't. Maybe. Oh, man, that'd be the best. 
If they just keep on releasing Avatar content from Avatar Studios for the rest of our lives, that's the dream. That's the dream right there. I just had a weird emotional moment thinking about that. Thinking thinking how you're stuck with me for the rest of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, an emotional moment because I was... I was crying tears of despair. No, just kidding. Yeah. No, I, no, I I'm thinking tear. about how <laughs> I'm thinking about how Aang and his friends go through the journey, get to the end of book three, and then there's this big gap. Yeah. Or used to be yeah. between after the last airbender and Korra. And in that gap, they grow up into adults. They continue their journey. They continue their adventures. They build their relationships with each other. Yeah. And I just got this emotional moment because I'm like, we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that. We're going to grow up together and go on all these adventures just like they did. We're going to get old. Oh, man. We're already old. Anyways. (laughs) Yes. I'm very much excited for all of the other adventures that we have to go through because I've never read any of the comics before. While I've seen Avatar once in its entirety, I've never read any of the books. I was actually thumbing through uh, some of the Amazon preview images and they look so beautifully illustrated and the coloring feels they're really good. Gorgeous. Uh, sometimes you get hit or miss with those kind of adaptations where they're like or mm-hmm. continuations or prequels where it doesn't look like the series that you enjoyed. So there's that little bit of a discrepancy and then eventually kind of get over it. But that does not look to be the case for this. I am so, so excited. Me too. Yeah. I know. We're almost there. We're halfway through almost. book three. We do have two more reviews. The next one comes from Savian Jones, who writes, I love your podcast two exclamation points. It's the perfect companion to listen to after I finish watching the episodes. Well, thank you. That's what we go for. Thank you so much. That's what we aim for. That's really nice of you. The final review comes from Ang10000 and they write, I love it! (laughs) All caps, short and sweet. My wife is probably just like, what are you yelling? I yelled (laughs) that pretty loud. Oh, I should have done that. My my baby's sleeping. Sorry. Oh no. (laughs) I should have done that. Uh, But short and sweet. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that was in all caps in case my yelling didn't give that away. So Mm -hmm. thank you, Ang 10,000. Thank you, Savion Jones. Thank you, C. Pritchard, for your kind words and for leaving the five-star reviews. And remember, if you leave a written five-star review, we will also read that right here on the podcast. So Mm -hmm. go ahead and do that. If you don't write it, remember, we can't read it. And uh, that's all I'm going to say on that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump into the episode then. Yes. Book three, chapter 11. The Day of Black Sun Part 2, or as we like to call it, Ming's Day Off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so pleased with that. We'd never see Ming again, but (laughs) it was her day off. (laughs) Yep. I wonder what she's doing. I know. I I actually wondered that. She took Iroh's advice, went home, and I don't know, maybe she took like a bubble bath? I hope she didn't drink that tea. Oh, Oh, no. <laughs> she may have drank some of that tea. Mm. And that's why she had the Let's day hope off. not. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this episode was written by Michael Dante DiMartino and directed by Giancarlo Volpe. The invasion continues out in the Royal Plaza. Sokka kneels behind a semicircle of earthbending tanks with a water tribe warrior and an earth nation bender. He studies a map of the Fire Nation as flaming rocks fall all around them from the Fire Nation's catapults. When he looks up, he sees Katara and Hakoda emerging from the gates. Hakoda is still injured, but is now stable thanks to Katara's healing. Their father sits down and Sokka gives him an update on the invasion. Meanwhile, Katara looks up at the sky and spots Aang gliding towards them. The young avatar lands and reports that the Fire Lord wasn't home. No one was. The entire palace city is abandoned. Sokka realizes this means they knew about the invasion. Aang is dismayed and muses that the Fire Lord is probably long gone, 
safely tucked away on some remote island far away. Sokka disagrees and explains that the Fire Lord is more likely under the city in a secret bunker where he can be close enough to still lead his nation. If it's an underground secret bunker we're looking for, I'm the girl to find it, Toph says. Secret bunker! Secret (laughs) bunker! Top's going to find it. Secret, <laughs> secret, secret, secret bunker. Sorry. I was thinking of that the whole time I was watching this episode after they referenced oh my the God. secret bunker. We need it. We, we need, need it. every secret every. something insert here song that we can possibly come up with. That's how you know Secret Tunnel is the perfect song. It works it in so song. many other developments, so many other actions. It's great. It's, as long as it's secret, it works with the song. Love it. After checking his timing device, Sokka lets everyone know they have 10 minutes until the full eclipse. 10 minutes to find the Fire Lord. Katara worries that the Fire Nation knew they were coming, so maybe they should use that time to get out safely. Hakoda says that everyone who came with them knew the risks and that they'd want Aang to continue his mission. Aang agrees he has to try. They fly up the side of the dormant volcano and Toph hops off to feel the earth with her seismic sense. She reports that there are natural tunnels crisscrossing under the ground, as well as something big, dense, and made of metal deep in the heart of the volcano. Sounds like a secret bunker to me, Sokka says. So does Greg. Mm -hmm. Secret bunker. (laughs) Oh, we've already covered that. We've already done that. (laughs) The three friends leave Appa and Momo behind and climb into a hole that Toph creates. She leads them away from dead ends and through a cavern with lava geysers. They reach a river of lava and Aang flies them across on his glider. They come upon a huge domed metal structure built into the end of the tunnel. Toph tests the metal and successfully peels the metal plates apart so they can slip through. At this point, Sokka exclaims, I'm so glad we added you to the group. I just want to point out, we talked about this on Avatar on this past Friday, and I just yeah. love how cool and superhero-y that metal bending mm-hmm. looks with Toph. She literally like, the only thing I can describe it as is it's the like the Naruto like secret poking the this is gonna sound terrible poking the butt maneuver where you like <laughs> right. puts his hand this is her shot she like pokes and then it's she like, like finger pistols yeah like dual finger pistols and then she like almost like tissue paper just like rips yep. it open but it doesn't rip like tissue paper because it's metal so it just kind of st- it just looks so cool it's visually it such an interesting sub bending. And I wonder how much fun the animators had with it or if they were just like this thing again. If they just dreaded it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it would be it'd be fun to animate because it's so different from natural elements yeah. because water and fire move a lot. Right. Rock and earth tends to be more clumpy. You have like the little pieces of soil and smaller rocks coming off. And then air is also very fluid. So I feel like metal is just a completely different substance that is structured and doesn't have any pieces that fall off. And so I think it would be fun to animate. Yeah. Or maybe it was much. Do you think it was much of a challenge to like try to figure out how it looks? Because it's got to look easy because she's bending it, Mm -hmm. but you can't make it look too easy because then it won't look like metal anymore. So you have to have this kind of like balance, I think. So I think the balance is making that initial like point of impact and then being able to easily open it up or, mm-hmm. or move it or bend it or whatever. So I'm just always impressed with metal bending. And that Toph just figured it out within yeah. an evening. An evening with Toph. <laughs> figuring out and inventing metal bending. She's just that good. She's just She's that the good. best earthbender in the world. She really is. Back outside, the invasion force makes their way up the path that leads to the Royal Caldera City. Along the way, the boulder and the big bad hippo take out the series of battlements stationed higher up the hill face. One of the Fire Nation generals calls for a retreat when he sees how close the eclipse is, and the invasion force continues trekking up the hill. 
Katara offers to wait behind with her injured father, but he insists on pressing on with the others. In the tunnels under the earth, Toph, Sokka, and Aang come upon a familiar Fire Nation minister who is so intimidated by them that he immediately tells them the location of the Fire Lord's chamber. The reason he's familiar? Mm -hmm. This is War Minister Chin. He is so bad, like in a good and bad way. Like just what comes up next. I love him so much. I love and hate him so much. When we first meet him, he's just like, very regal, very proper, very like menacing, like intimidating. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. we saw him in Northern. We saw him in the Northern Air Temple. Northern, okay. Which was with the Mechanist. And then we saw him again, I believe, in the drill. We did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. When we first saw him in the Northern Air Temple episode, he comes into the Mechanist's workroom and he's very imposing and very stern and very scary. And so it's funny to see his personality and his appearance like flipped on its head yeah. where he's just like, oh, the Avatar that way. <laughs> he's immediately terrified. <laughs> they reach the grand doors and Aang takes a deep, steadying breath. I'm ready, he says. I'm ready to face the Fire Lord. He breaks down the doors and they enter the chamber to find Azula sitting on the throne. So you are alive after all, she says. I had a hunch that you'd survived, but it doesn't matter. I've known about the invasion for months. Aang stares at her in surprise and dismay as the full weight of her words sinks in. And of course, as a reminder, we talked about it last episode in part one. Azula has known about the invasion from her time disguised as a Kyoshi warrior in Ba Sing Se when she mm-hmm. was in a war meeting with Earth King Kue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that too, not going to lie, until not last episode, but the episode before that. I was just like, oh, they're going to win. It's going to be great. There's some extra episodes that's weird, but whatever. And then I was like, oh no, uh-huh. she knows. Because we haven't really seen Azula reference that again. We've seen mm-hmm. some episodes where they try to make me think that she's growing as a character, but she's really not, in my opinion. But anyways, I, everyone knows how I feel about Azula. But like, yeah, they've, they've had these like more human stories with her involved instead of her being like the villain, quote unquote. So yeah. now that we're we're being reminded that she knew about this, we're like, oh, man, everyone's screwed. It's all over. That's it. Pack it up. Game over, man. Game over. Yep. Yeah, They're way far ahead. They knew you were coming the whole time. They've had all this time to prepare. Exactly. That's why it's such a shocking and discouraging moment for Aang. Because he, he, of course, has been working up to this for so long. He had a whole 20, whoa, gosh, more than that, 48 hours? Yeah. 72 hours where he was just beside himself, couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. He was so worried about this. And Mm -hmm. all along, they knew. Yeah. Oh, that makes that so much more painful for Aang. Yep. Oh, man. Yep. Somewhere in the tunnels, Zuko stands before a smaller bunker door. I'm ready to face you, he says to himself. He enters the bunker and finds his father sitting on the small days with a cup of tea. Zuko, what are you doing here? His father asks. Zuko tells him he's there to tell the truth. The timing is not lost on the Fire Lord, who makes a comment about telling the truth during the middle of an eclipse. He waves his soldiers away, leaving just he and Zuko in the chamber. First of all, in Ba Sing Se, it was Azula who took down the Avatar, not me. When his father asks why she would lie to him about that, Zuko replies, because the Avatar is not dead. He survived. In fact, he's probably leading the invasion. He could be on his way here right now. Furious, his father shouts for Zuko to get out. That's another thing. I'm not taking orders from you anymore, Zuko says. You will obey me or this defiant breath will be your last, the Fire Lord replies. Zuko draws his broadswords and stands firm against his father. Think again. I'm going to speak my mind and you are going to listen. 
Ozai actually sits down, regarding his son with a stern, unhappy expression. There is so much going on with this scene and the previous one right now. So we talk a lot about mirror imagery between Aang and Zuko. And Mm -hmm. now we're seeing it not only still between these two, but we're also seeing it between Azula and her father. We have Aang standing up to Azula, Azula keeping calm, never really moving from her position. And we have Zuko going up against Ozai and Ozai has not even stood up yet. He is still sitting in front of his son, confident that no matter what's going to happen, no one can firebend. But Ozai is so confident that he could take down Zuko even without firebending. If it even comes down to that. Mm -hmm. Zuko is just not a threat. He might even try to go psychological with Zuko to try to break him that way. Mm-hmm. Well, he we know he does that. We watched the episode, but still, like at this point, we're just like, he's not standing up. He's not taking up arms against Zuko. He is just there. He's ready to go. Exactly. Yeah. And most importantly, Zuko is standing up to his yes. father. Yes. Yes. For the first time, he is face to face and he's bringing up the past or about to, really, yeah. in more detail. Yeah. But he's finally facing his father. Huge, huge development for Zuko. And he's not shaking or wavering. He is determined to do this. So good. In the other chamber, Aang demands to know where the Fire Lord is. Hmm, you mean I'm not good enough for you? Azula asks sarcastically. You're hurting my feelings. Sokka reminds her that she's powerless due to the eclipse, so she is in no position to refuse. And stick to the truth. I'll be able to tell if you're lying, Toph tells her. Azula steps down from the throne and says in a bored tone, Are you sure? I'm a pretty good liar. I am a 400-foot-tall purple platypus bear with pink horns and silver wings. Toph blinks and admits that, yeah, she's pretty good. (laughs) The young earthbender surrounds the princess with rock, holding her in place. But Azula reveals that she brought a few Daili agents with her from Ba Sing Se. The elite earthbenders drop from the ceiling. The presentation of this was really well done because... Toph Earth bends her into like a little like corner, not a corner, but like she pins her in place. It's like a mini mountain yeah. or volcano or something just surrounding her and being very grounded. Nice. I see that. I see what you did there. Uh, <laughs> that was accidental. And then it just like breaks apart and it looks like yeah. Azula does it kind of. And for a moment, you're like, what? And uh-huh. then she reveals that, you know, she brought some friends and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, yes, of course. Because for a minute there, for a minute, I was like, you're not the Avatar. Whoa. Or are yeah. you? <laughs> Wait, are you that strong, Azula? Oh, crazy. Yeah. So I will say this. I still don't like Azula, but this episode makes a strong argument for her and her villainy and her abilities and her character in general. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe if she was presented like this a bit more instead of being a little more tongue in cheek like a little more calculating, a little more reserved, a little more like her father, I guess. Then I think I would have liked her a lot more than her just like, I don't know, making bad jokes and doing that evil laugh that like everyone does and all of that. So being, I guess, more haughty than calculated. She's calculated, but in the background, she doesn't really show that. Yeah, I I like that like calm demeanor where you have everything planned and you know you're going to win and you're just toying with your food instead of just like going over the top and teasing them and tormenting them and being just like crazy. I like crazy with a calm exterior. That's it. I see. Okay. That's that's my villains. That's what I enjoy. Yeah. I like the way Azula is a little unhinged, the way that she presents things. She obviously has a twisted perception of reality because she sees people as 
objects as tools, as a means to her end. And I like the way that she just is so dialed into people's psychology. We're going to see this later in this episode, but she is so good at picking people apart and pushing their buttons. Actually, we've seen it so far with with Zuko. She constantly pokes at him and puts pressure on his insecurities to make him uncomfortable and to make him doubt himself. Yeah. She, I have to point out too, in this reveal where she shows that she brought some Daily agents with her, she calls them souvenirs. And this part always makes me wonder how the Daily agents feel about being called souvenirs. She very obviously treats them as tools. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think they care. I think they just want to re- remain in power. and They don't have any hubris about that, let's say. They don't have any like sense of self... Well, not self-worth. I don't know. I don't think they care. I think ultimately they're just like, as long as we get to keep bossing say... It's like a job. Yeah. And they yeah. get to stay on top. They've, they're already accustomed to this way of life. So if they got to be called a couple names while preserving that, so be it. Because they're mercenaries at this point. Yeah. The fact that this is all in the Fire Nation, give me some pause. But as of now, the Fire Nation still has rule over Ba Sing Se. Right. And Azula was the one who brought it down. So I actually think that these agents maybe could end up feeling favored because Azula brought them back home with yeah, her. That's possible. Azula the Conqueror. Yeah. So they're like her personal protectors, her personal bodyguards. Yeah, it's, it's a bump up for sure for them. And yeah. it, it's only a couple of them too. So you would have to imagine that the rest of the Daily are probably in Ba Sing Se in making sure that Azula's reign still is trying to be kept somewhat intact, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Having them show up is a nice little callback, too. It is. Yeah. yeah. There's actually, they mentioned in the commentary that there was a scene in 301, which is episode one, season three, the season premiere, where they show Azula with Daily agents and that she's been like lugging them around, essentially, for lack of a better term. But they cut it because when they were working on this episode, they're like, no, it'll be a lot more impactful if all of a sudden we remind everyone about the Daily Agents that she still has Ooh. them. So it was really cool. They were so right. This yes. scene is is great for that reason. Because you, like you said, you forget yeah. that she knows. You forget that she came from Ba Sing Se and, and that chances are she brought some agents with her. Yeah. Because yep. they were loyal to her. Yeah. yeah. Two more points before we move on. Mm-hmm. The first... Azula would be able to lie perfectly. Yes. Like, holy crap. She always does it. Yeah. Azula always lies. Yeah. And she lies. She's been lying for so long that she is perfect at it. She has no change in heart rate or blood pressure. She creates her truth, yes. which is so good for a villain. Mm-hmm. The second thing is actually a callback to our last Avatar because in this scene, when the Daily Agents appear, Aang bends this big blast of air at Azula and the Daily agents bend these two walls of earth in front of her to dissipate the air. And in our last Avatar, we were talking about bending and subbending. And we were talking about this concept of each element is stronger than and weaker than other elements. And one of the things that we mentioned specifically is the fact that earth beats air. Mm -hmm. We can see that perfectly here in the scene. Yeah. And so easily because it's like this big impressive gust and then it's just like to the the wall. It's like whatever. (laughs) Yep. The invasion force finally reaches the lip of the volcano and glimpses the royal city below. The plan is to secure the palace by the time the eclipse is over. Otherwise, they'll be in for the fight of their lives. Haru and his father encounter Fire Nation soldiers in the streets and warn them to surrender peacefully if they don't want to get hurt. One soldier steps forward and flails his arms in a wild display of bending, but no fire comes out. 
okay, we surrender, he says. <laughs> so this is interesting because mm-hmm. apparently not all of the Fire Nation soldiers either believed in the Day of Black Sun or were aware of the Day of Black Sun. Ah, oh, was that from the commentary? No, the commentary wasn't all that great, to be honest. Like, it was fine. I was, I actually was messaging Acorn while I was watching it. And for part one, they pitched up and down their voices for like a good five or 10 minutes. And it was just very distracting. So the fact oh. that I was able to get any interesting information out of that was just like a testament to just perseverance, essentially. Number two was a little bit better. I think they recorded number one before number two, to be honest, because they okay. felt a little more like contained and they felt a little more focused. But uh, that's just something I thought of is just they just tried to firebend and it wouldn't work. So what were they hoping would happen? Yeah, that's an interesting point, because if you think about the military structure, the Fire Nation is a huge military power. And yes, they did have the information, the intelligence that there was going to be an invasion that day. Mm -hmm. But maybe they just told their forces that there is going to be invaders. We're protecting our city. We're keeping them back. And maybe only the higher ranking generals knew about the Day of Black Sun being part of this invasion and how they wouldn't have their fire bending. These seem like regular soldiers that they just encountered in the streets. Maybe this was their moment where they were like, I'm better than the Black Sun. I can still bend. Or well, so my headcanon for them is they're the same forces they've been fighting because they keep on getting pushed back further and further and further. That's kind of like yeah, what true. I read that as. So it could also be if I'm playing devil's advocate against my own argument, it could also be that they've just been fighting for so long they just haven't looked up yet and lost track of time. Oh, or that, yeah. So I think that's more believable actually. Yeah, because I feel like if a natural event as large and impactful as an eclipse that takes your bending away is happening. That's something that's important to disseminate into the the troops to make them aware. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably more of a timing thing where they just didn't realize it was the proper eclipse now. And then, nope, yeah. nope, buddy, nope. you're done. Yep, that's nope, it. No bending for you. Yeah. Before we move on from the scene, the move that this soldier does, I don't know why, but it, I'm pretty sure this move was used in the last Airbender movie somewhere. I mean, it looks pathetic enough that it, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, the arm waving and then the thrusting of the hand out. Yeah. It looks so familiar. And of course, I'm not going to watch the Airbender movie again. I'm done. Never again. I watched it twice. Never again. Yeah. But, you know, so I'll never maybe know for sure, but pretty sure it was you somewhere there. Yeah. The over display of hand waving and, and movement sounds about right for something that doesn't understand the source material, but it was still yes. wanted to, to display it. So. I'm just going to say that you're probably right. And we're all going to say that you're right. And we're never going to watch that movie ever again. Nope. Nope. It's dead to me. It's gone. Yep. After this scene, there's actually a very, very short moment where Hakoda and Katara come over the edge of the volcano and see the city below. And Hakoda makes this comment about how they've come so far. And Katara replies that it's not over yet. And I had a moment here because it's amazing to think about how these two individuals who came from a completely different part of the world were swept up in this huge global mission and are finally here at the doorstep of their enemy, seeing their city for the first time. It's kind of like when Frodo finally gets to Mordor Mm -hmm. and it's like, wow, it's real. We're here. We're near the end. It has just like this weight and meaning to it. Yeah, it really does. Back in the Fire Lord's chamber, Zuko confronts his father about his past. Ozai banished Zuko just for talking out of turn. He challenged Zuko, a 13-year-old boy, to an Agni Kai. How could he possibly justify a duel with a child? When Ozai tells him it was to teach him respect, Zuko calls it for what it really was, 
cruel, and wrong. Ozai claims Zuko has learned nothing, but Zuko tells his father everything he has learned on his own. Growing up, he said, we were taught that the Fire Nation was the greatest civilization in history, and somehow the war was our way of showing our greatness with the rest of the world. What an amazing lie that was. The people of the world are terrified by the Fire Nation. They don't see our greatness. They hate us. And we deserve it. We've created an era of fear in the world. And if we don't want the world to destroy itself, we need to replace it with an era of peace and kindness. Ozai laughs at this and asks if Zuko's uncle has gotten to him. Zuko says yes and smiles. This unnerves Ozai, who looks at his son as if he didn't expect that answer. I have a couple points to make about this particular scene and okay. in general. Mark Hamill really steps it up in this episode as Ozai. Because before, oh, yes. before he was just very like Joker-esque, but with like a deeper tone to his voice. Mm -hmm. And now you can see he's kind of incorporating, for lack of a better term, the Mako accent a little bit into the character. He's getting a little higher pitched with his voice. And getting a little less jokery. So it's, it feels just like an original character, which yeah. Ozai is. Number two is I had a fun little headcanon that has no justification and is all speculation. <laughs> but I think it makes me feel a little better. We've talked before about how young Ozai looks next to Iroh. And a lot mm -hmm. of that could be because there might just be a huge age gap. Like maybe like a 10 year age gap. We've talked about that. What if though? What if Ozai just like dyes his hair so he doesn't look as old because <laughs> sometimes a simple dye job will like shave off five years for sure yeah so like i had that thought i was like what if he's just so vain that like he maybe has a hair piece and dyes the rest of his hair like jet black just so he doesn't look old oh my gosh i kind of like that because it, it sounds like something ozai would do so focused on appearance yep. so focused on power that he wants to maintain this who knows? Maybe he just wants to be eternal too. Yeah. The eternal fire lord. So, you know, make himself look as young as possible for as long as possible. Yeah. And then, you know, Iroh just doesn't care about that. Yep. He's a more simple man with simple tastes. So <laughs> maybe it's a combination of the both. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I had that kind of thought while I was watching this. I was like, his hair is like a little too black. It's like a little too perfect there. He looks a little too ageless. That's, that's maybe, yeah. maybe that's by design. So that's just a couple thoughts that I had. But Really, Mark Hamill, as if he couldn't step it up enough mm. as a voice actor, really bring in his A game for this. And it was very much appreciated. I'm so glad he brought that up because I found myself listening to his voice during that scene, trying to find Mark Hamill in it. And it was really difficult. I mean, not for Mark Hamill ace like myself, but I see what you're <laughs> oh, okay. From. You know, just to... There were parts of words and words themselves that sounded like Mark Hamill, but the overall delivery was so removed from his usual voice yep. that you're right. He sounded like an original character. This was Ozai. Didn't sound like anyone else. Yeah, for sure. Like, I don't know if someone had a discussion with him or if the death of Mako touched him in some way or if he just heard Greg Baldwin doing a Mako voice and was like, oh, yeah, I should do something Elements more like that. Elements of that. that. Yeah, Let yeah, me yeah. weave them in. Yeah. Yep. I have to make a note about what Zuko says here, specifically the fact that he's recognized now that the Fire Nation has terrorized the world and everyone hates them. And if they want to heal the world, they have to do it by introducing an era of peace and kindness. 
First of all, he's officially chosen Uncle Iroh's path, including Avatar Roku. So kind of the both of them there, their philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Also, it took him traveling the world and actually going through the experiences that he did, including in Zuko alone, for him to realize this. He never would have come to this conclusion if he had stayed in the palace his whole life. So another reminder of just how insulated sometimes royalty and leaders are and how important it is for them to understand what the plight of the common man is. And this journey that he went on is what will make him a great ruler because he's the crown prince. He is the one who's going to become the next fire lord. And this is what made him such a great ruler. It's almost like we've had this lesson before. It's almost like a certain spirit decided to (laughs) inhabit the form of man instead of being ageless and immortal and just like being their protector or our protector without understanding the plight of the man. It's almost the same thing. Again, we have that mirror imagery going on between the avatar spirit now and Mm -hmm. Zuko slash the fire lord or future fire lords like journey. It's very interesting. This is a very common theme. That's so cool. Yes. Personally, we've seen parallels between Zuko, the character, and Aang, the character. Right. And now we're seeing parallels between the Avatar spirit and the Fire Lord position. Yes. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Which we wouldn't have made that connection if they had not had the Avatar and the Fire Lord episode specifically. Yes. So that's yep. a little like ninja seed, let's call it, where they planted it, but they didn't tell us about it. And now it's starting to sprout. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love this show. Yes. Anyway, we return to the fight between Team Avatar and the Dai Li. Now that Aang can earthbend, he's able to hold his own more against the agents than he ever has before. With Toph's help, Aang gets in front of Azula and chases her around the cavern. Azula is light on her feet and flips and spins off of the metal support beams around the chamber. In her escape, she is launched through a hole in one of the large earth walls, sailing past a startled Sokka as he's trying to climb to the other side. A Daili agent, Toph and Aang pursue Azula into the tunnel outside the chamber, and Toph incapacitates the agent by throwing him into a metal support on the wall and wrapping the metal around him. I live for watching Toph fight Daili agents. You know who doesn't live for Toph fighting Daili agents? Who? Jet. Ah! Oh, God. Ah! That's terrible. <laughs> What's wrong with me today? That was the That's first the thing. I, when I read that joke. note. <laughs> When I read that note on your notes, I was like, ooh, there's a dead jet joke in there somewhere. (laughs) Sorry, all jet fans. Sorry, sorry. It was was low-hanging fruit. I had to take it. It looks so good. Uh, Yeah, I live for it too. Absolutely. It's so good. Your brain, your look was like, did you not like this for some reason? I was like, I'm walking into something. I don't know what it is. It was a dead jet joke. (laughs) Oh, rest in peace, jet. Rest in peace, pal. Rest in peace. Um, I also really appreciate Azula's agility in this scene. It's kind of like her version of Zuko's broadsword skill. It's not bending. It's something else that takes a lot of practice and a lot of skill. So um, they made a note about this and it was very like quick and offhand. I wish they kind of dived into it a little bit more on the audio commentary. It's definitely without a doubt. And they, they said this, it's based off of parkour, period. Yeah. You know what? Okay. Sorry, I have to pause you there. I actually had in my notes. This sequence reminds me of one of those parkour movies from the early 2000s. It's parkour. It's based off of parkour. And they said it too, because the audio recording was done so much earlier than parkour, like really came through into the the Mm -hmm. normal zeitgeist, at least here in the the US, where they're like, there's this French thing. It's called parkour. 
And it's really, I'm like, yeah, we all know it. Cause I'm, I'm sitting there. She's jumping and I'm yelling parkour. Like it's in the office. So it's already yes. gotten to us at this <laughs> point. That too. <laughs> so oh it, it is parkour. It is based parkour. off of that. They also mentioned that the reason why Azula kept around May and Ty Lee is because she was lacking in those abilities when they were children, when they were younger. Like she mm. couldn't do that. So she kept <gasps> oh, them around right. and then she learned from them without them really knowing or maybe knowing. I don't know. So now she can kind of perform some of that stuff that her friends can do. And I think I feel like I didn't get a chance to go back and listen to that episode of uh, this wonderful podcast called Avatar the Podcast. I don't know if you've heard about it. But <laughs> when we first met Azula and we saw May and Tylee doing these impressive acts of parkour and athleticism and, and gymnastics and all this crazy stuff. Right. And Azula didn't really do that all that much. So this is also kind of like a little hidden skill that she had that we haven't mm. seen too much more without the aid of her firebending. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm immediately thinking about the flashback scene in the Royal Gardens where they're playing as children and Azula tries to do like a cartwheel or something and yeah. falls down. Mm -hmm. And then Ty Lee does it perfectly. And Azula pushes her because she's frustrated yeah. by the fact that Ty Lee just showed her up. So that's a cool arc. That's cool how one of her weaknesses as a child became one of her greatest strengths as an adult or as a teenager. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Team Avatar is hot on Azula's heels when Sokka tells them to stop. Can't you see what she's doing? She's just playing with us. She's not even trying to win this fight. Not true. I'm giving it my all, Azula replies sarcastically. I like this. Why was she like this the whole time? <laughs> she kind of was. No, she was Just in like in a threatening way. Okay, to your point, this is the I'm playing with my food yeah. kind of cattiness. Yeah, yeah. She was also kind of catty in like a threatening way before because of all those times where she was like that one scene on the ship where she was like, have the currents decided to kill you? I'm still deciding. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah, whole yeah. thing. Yeah. She's always been kind of snarky like that. But yeah, this is, I think, her actually enjoying herself because her mission here is to eat up as much time as possible. And yeah. keep them away from her father. So in a way, this is just playtime for her. She also knows she's going to win. So maybe that's the difference oh, yeah. too. Is She's a little more collected because she knows she's had the upper hand. Team Avatar thought that they had the element of surprise. But really, it was Azula and the Fire Lord that mm -hmm. did. So she knows that. She realizes that. She's just having fun, like you said. So maybe that's why. I just, yeah. like, I just like girls just want to have fun, Azula. That's what I like. <laughs> sadistic girls just want to have sadistic fun sadistic girls just want to have fun that's all <laughs> when Aang asks what do they do now Sokka suggests that they get out of there and find the Fire Lord on their own somehow they turn to leave and Azula warns them it's a trap but Sokka resolutely ignores her and continues down the tunnel so Azula decides to bait him where it hurts the most so Sokka's your name right my favorite prisoner used to mention you all the time she was convinced you were going to come and rescue her. Of course, you never came and she gave up on you. The words have the effect Azula was going for. A tear rolls down Sokka's face and he charges her in a blind rage. Unseen by him, Azula slips a hidden throwing blade out of her sleeve and prepares for Sokka. But Toph senses this and bends a rock around Azula's wrist, throwing her back into the wall with enough force that she drops the blade. Sokka gets up in her face, demanding to know where Suki is. Couple things. Yes. Azula is so good at being bad. I've yes. said it before. Yep. I will say it many more times, but this is the perfect example because like I said a couple minutes ago, she is so good at pushing people's buttons. 
And when she saw Sokka walking down the tunnel and knowing that she's she's lost him, his attention has moved on, she yanks it right back mm-hmm. by hurting him. And she's so good at it. Yes. Also, I'm pretty sure that Azula could have dodged that earthbending attack. She just chose not to because it didn't matter. It was a wasted effort because her mission, her goal is to delay them as much as possible. Okay. Yeah, true. For that reason, probably. It doesn't matter if she's like caught, quote unquote, or not, because she has Sokka's complete attention at this point. Mm -hmm. So she knows she has at least close to enough time to delay them to get to her father. Yep. She's like, whatever. He took the bait. He's back on the line. And so she has time to play with that. Yeah. Also, if she dodges it, it could be considered like a form of attack or it might be viewed as a form of attack, which means Sokka would drop that train of thought. So just get captured for a little bit. She knows she can bust out of it once the firebending gets turned back on. Mm -hmm. Another thing is Jack DeSena's delivery of that line, where is Suki? So good. Oh, Mm -hmm. like goosebumps. There's so much emotion in his voice and I feel for him. It's like, I actually think some of his trauma around losing Yue came back in that moment, realizing, oh "Oh God, this other girl that I have feelings for has been taken from here. I have to save her. I couldn't save Yue, so I have to save her. He also didn't realize that she was probably kidnapped, maybe. Yeah, he had no idea. I forgot, to be honest. (laughs) And Suki's been captured for a long time. Because Suki was captured when Appa was missing and she and the Hyoshi warriors saved him and sent him on his way. That is when Azula, May, and Tai Lee came across the Kyoshi warriors and I guess captured them mm-hmm. and stole their outfits and went to Ba Sing Se. So this was months ago. Yeah. Mm. And fun enough, we're going to be covering Suki's time between finding Appa and when the team sees her next in a special comic that just came out called Suki Alone. I can't wait to read it. I'm so excited. I am so excited. Yeah. It's like, it feels like such a once in a lifetime opportunity where like, We're watching this week by week, right? And Mm -hmm. we're covering it. And now a comic came out and was released almost perfectly. It's like a week or two earlier, I feel like. Or it was was this year, right? And it came out? No, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Is when it came out. It dropped. Yep. Yeah. So it's like within a month, not even, of when we would actually be able to cover it chronologically. So I'm excited. I can't wait. I cannot wait either. Yeah. Oh, The scene changes to Zuko and Ozai. Zuko tells his father, after I leave here today, I'm going to free Uncle Iroh from his prison and I'm going to beg for his forgiveness. He is the one who's been a real father to me, but I've come to an even more important decision. I'm going to join the Avatar and I'm going to help him defeat you. Ozai smiles and smugly suggests Zuko tries to end it here. Ozai is powerless and Zuko has his swords. So why wait? I know my destiny, Zuko says. Taking you down is the Avatar's destiny. Goodbye. Zuko turns to leave and Ozai is angry that his taunting doesn't work. He stands up and calls his son a coward. You think you're brave enough to face me, but you'll only do it during the eclipse. If you have any real courage, you'll stick around until the sun comes out. Don't you want to know what happened to your mother? This stops Zuko in his tracks and he turns back to his father. Ozai smiles. Talk about mirroring. Mm-hmm. This same situation just happened between Azula and Sokka. Yeah. Sokka was leaving and Azula brought him back with pain and emotion and the thing that he hurts the most about. And Ozai just did the same thing with Zuko and his mother. Yes. Also, Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting that Zuko chose in this particular order to confront his father and then get his uncle. 
He could have probably very, if not very easily, if not more easily, gone his uncle first and then confronted his father. Yeah. But my headcanon is that he wanted to confront his father on his own without the aid of his uncle. Is it something he needs to do? It's his destiny. He sees it. This is his path. It's it's just on his own. But like, I found that very telling. Oh, super telling. And it's also, I interpret it similarly. It's part of his goodbye tour. Yeah. This is his version of saying goodbye to his father, which is confronting him about the way that he treated Zuko when he was young. The fact that he was banished. The fact that Zuko has just been trying to please his father this whole time. And also telling him his plans going forward. I'm not listening to you. You have no control over me and I'm taking you down by helping the Avatar. How interesting is it that what was once Zuko's banishment is now his road to freedom? So interesting. That's okay. That right there is why Zuko's redemption arc is one of the best ever created. Period. This right here. I was going back and I think I said this in the first episode, if not the the trailer, quote unquote, episode for our, our podcast. I don't remember too, too much as everyone's probably witnessed from my first watch through. I remember the key moments. And one of those was Zuko's redemption arc. Like, I didn't remember the details of it. I just remembered how impactful it was and how powerful it was and how, like, perfectly executed it was. And, like, going through it a second time, it does not disappoint. It is just such an important part of the story that I think would be a completely different show without Zuko and his arc here. Oh, completely. Yeah. If this was not written as well as it was, if Zuko still went and helped the Avatar, for instance, Mm -hmm. if he, for some reason, decided in the Crystal Caverns under Ba Sing Se to go with the Avatar, and that was his moment, his redemption of like, actually, you're all wrong. I'm going to go with the Avatar and help him. It wouldn't be believable. Because he had to get what he wanted, the thing that he thought he needed to be happy, which is to return home, to be loved by his father, to regain his honor. It took him getting all of that for him to realize that's not actually what he needs. What he needs is to help heal the world with Aang, the Avatar. Yeah. And um, Bryke mentioned that. I'm bringing that nickname back. Bryke mentioned this, that when the end of book two came out, they got so much hatred about it and so many letters (laughs) and emails are just like, just change it. So they joke. They'd be like, yeah, just send us like $200,000. We'll change that. No problem. Like (laughs) a show that's already written, animated, produced and like out there in the world. And at that point it was already in DVD format. They were like, yeah, it'll take us this amount of money to undo that. So sure. If you send it to us. Meanwhile, yeah, they're sitting there going, we got something better. Just wait. Yeah. They, they all knew what was kind of coming up. So it, it makes that end of book two feel like a couple steps back. But it really just skyrockets the story beyond like Mm -hmm. any medium, never mind like, you know, a Nickelodeon kids cartoon, quote unquote. So well done. Zuko asks his father what happened that night. And Ozai explains that on the night Ursa disappeared, Fire Lord Azulon had commanded Ozai to do the unthinkable to Zuko, his own son. Ursa found out and proposed a plan that would protect Zuko and make Ozai the Fire Lord. Your mother did vicious, treasonous things that night. She knew the consequences and accepted them. For her treason, she was banished. A tear falls down Zuko's cheek as he realizes his mother is alive. Now I realize, Ozai continues, that banishment is far too merciful a penalty for treason. Your penalty will be far steeper. 
At that moment, the moon shifts one degree past the sun and the eclipse is over. Fire Lord Ozai bends two long flickering ropes of lightning and shoots them at his son. Zuko instinctively catches them, bringing them into his body and redirects them back at his father the way his uncle taught him. The lightning erupts at Ozai's feet, throwing him back into the wall behind him. When he looks back up, Zuko is gone. This may be one of the best scenes in the whole show. Okay, I'm going to go on another rant. Go for it. Apologies in advance. Also, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Right here is a lesson in storytelling payoffs. Mm -hmm. Iroh teaches Zuko that technique during one of Zuko's lowest points in bitter work. At that time, Zuko cannot perform the technique successfully and falls into this like pit of self-pity and loathing because he doesn't feel good enough and he just wants to complete his mission and feel better and get what he needs. And that episode actually ends so perfectly on the top of a mountaintop during a thunderstorm where he's screaming at the world to do its worst. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now that Zuko has found his inner strength and has come to terms with his true identity, he's able to perform that technique in a moment when he needs it the most and actually gains the upper hand with his father in the process. It is so satisfying. And I just applaud the writers again for like oh, yeah. the hundredth time. But like, holy crap, it's so good. There's also, I found a little bit of symbolism going on in there mm-hmm. where think of it this way. Come on this literary journey with me, listener. (laughs) What has Zuko wanted since episode one? To return home, to regain his honor. To return home, to regain his honor, to be back in his father's good graces. So now he's had it, he's tasted it. He doesn't want it anymore. He doesn't like it. The lightning, if you will, is Ozai's love, is Zuko's honor, is all of that in physical form. And when he receives it, when Zuko receives it, he redirects it back to its source because he knows his purpose now. He's found his honor. And it's not through the acceptance of his father. It's through He refuses it. And not only does he refuse it and redirect it back at his father, he doesn't even land like a killing blow. I'm going to argue on purpose. Oh, yeah. I'm going to argue that he didn't shoot his father, which he could have very easily done. Instead, he directs it at the floor in front of him and just pushes him back, giving him enough time to escape blue spirit style. Yep. Blue spirit style. Yeah. Of course. So yeah, I think that's a good thought because you're right. He's at this point where he's saying, I don't need you. Yeah. You don't control me. And he refuses and returns what Ozai is giving him, which, you know, in this situation is something dangerous. And for that reason, I almost feel like it's, it's also a callback to bitter work and that mountaintop and that thunderstorm. When he was saying, do your worst, that's what you've always done. It's like now the world, now his father is doing his worst and Zuko can handle it. He's able to redirect it and get away because he's grown. Yeah. Expertly done storytelling. Yes. Oh, wait. Lightning just struck my brain. Yeah. Not only does he refuse like the symbolism of like his father's love, acceptance, all that stuff, but he uses it with the technique that his damn uncle taught him. Oh, okay. That just like struck me. Also, pun intended. Also, yeah, I was going to say also (laughs) pun intended. (laughs) Okay, that's the cherry on top. Yeah. He dealt with his father using a technique that his uncle, his true father figure has taught him. Yeah. Okay. So good. Jeez. At this moment in the other tunnel, as Sokka is demanding Azula tell them where Suki is, Azula feels the shift in the eclipse. Oh, sounds like the firebending's back on. She sweeps her leg and blue fire arcs in front of Sokka, forcing him back. 
Azula breaks free from the earth shackle and tells the group, Dad's all the way at the end of the hall, then down a secret stairway on the left. I'm sure he'd be more than happy to see you now. With this, Azula runs away. If it's a secret stairway? Secret stairway! (laughs) How are they going to find it if it's a secret? It's probably just like roughly hidden, I imagine. Or she knows that Toph is there and Toph can help them find the secret stairway. That's fair. That's just line of dialogue felt kind of rushed and not as well written as the rest of the episode. Oh yeah, just find the secret stairway. You'll be fine. It's down the hall. Yeah. It could also be a challenge too. Like, all right, I'm done with you. Good luck with the rest. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Sokka blames himself for letting Azula waste the rest of their time, but Toph comforts him by telling him it's not his fault. Azula was ready for them and had every move planned out. Aang suggests he face the Fire Lord anyway, but Sokka and Toph tell him that's not a good idea. They thought they had surprise on their side, but they didn't. It's just not their day, and now Mm -hmm. they need to go help their friends. Yeah. We join the invasion force outside, where the group is wondering what to do now that the eclipse is over. As they're deliberating, a line of war balloons rise over the palace. The mechanist recognizes his design and is disheartened. Just then, Aang and the others arrive on Appa, and when he sees the war balloons and a line of airships behind them, he looks worried. They land, and Sokka tells his sister that Azula knew they were coming, and they need to get to the beach as fast as they can. If they can make it to the submarines, maybe they can get away safely. Aang tells them he'll do what he can to slow them down, and Katara joins him on Appa. The two take down a few war balloons and join their friends on their way to the beach. So cool enough, the Fire Nation created this fleet of airships, right? After they find the Mechanist's war balloon in the Northern Air Temple, Mm -hmm. which we see at the very, very end of the episode. The team had the idea for the airships during Bible development, which is way at the beginning before the show even started. So this was a concept that they were sitting on for quite a while. Yeah. Something that still just irks me, and I I haven't vocalized this, so I'm just going to say it now. It's kind of out of place. I still cannot believe that Earth King Kuai never told anyone on Team Avatar that he accidentally told the plan to the imposter Kyoshi Warriors. Okay, wait a second. That's actually a good point because Azula takes over Ba Sing Se. Yeah, they see Kuai again. Remember, he walks off into the sunset with, with Bosco. That's the part that I'm I'm thinking about right now. Did he leave with Bosco after Ba Sing Se fell? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Huh. He just never said, oh, by the way, the bad guys know your plan. Sorry, bye. Let's go, Bosco. <laughs> I would say my interpretation of that is he's he's kind of oblivious yeah, to he's begin an idiot. with. Yeah, yeah. And he may actually have not realized where Azula came from. He may not have realized the fact that she was in disguise dressed as a Kyushi warrior. He probably was just like, she came from nowhere and she infiltrated and now the city has fallen. But like, even so, he could have been like, oh, by the way, that person that infiltrated us knows our plan. Okay, so he got lost with Bosco out in the wilderness because <laughs> he's never left the palace or Boss Sing Se before. <laughs> it's just a bit of a plot hole is all I'm saying. It's yeah. like, I mean, it's not really a plot hole because it's believable because he's oh an idiot. Oh my God. <laughs> what? Ed Cannon is just unrolling. Okay, okay. He leaves with Bosco. They go on an adventure. They meet interesting people all over the world that we may or may not have met before. On his way through his adventures, he finds his way to a post office with messenger hawks. He's like, that's a great idea. Let me get a messenger hawk. And he also did not go to the morning training session and also had a messenger hawk that went one way. And so maybe he thought, I need to tell Aang about the Kyoshi Warriors. And then the messenger hawk never arrived. I'd like to think that he woke up in a cold sweat at 3 a.m. and said, did I tell them about the thing? And he looks at Bosco and Bosco goes, raw. And he goes, 
Yeah, I told him about that thing and goes back to sleep. Yeah, yeah, I turned the oven off. We're fine. What an idiot. Oh, man. (laughs) It's just so funny that like this one line of dialogue could have made the difference in this. Yes. In this battle. I know. He's such an idiot, but I would totally watch a show about him. I would too. Absolutely. I want to see. I still want to Avatar Studios see maybe a couple episodes, maybe a miniseries, maybe a whole series. I don't know. Just King Kwai and Bosco roaming the planet. I'm now trying to think of a catchy title for that show and nothing's coming to me. Something about Bosco. Bosco and the idiot. No, that's not nice. (laughs) Something with alliteration. I don't know. Bees. Bees. I'm hearing bees. Like Bosco and bumbling. Bosco and his unbearable buddy. Oh, that's good. (laughs) I like it. Oh, man. Ship it. There we go. We follow Zuko as he races to the prison looking for his uncle. But when he arrives at his cell, the metal bars are bent outward and the cell is empty. Warden Poon leans against the wall nearby. Zuko questions him and the warden tells the prince, he's gone. He busted himself out. I've never seen anything like it. It was like he was a one-man army. And Poon has this like drool coming down the side of his head or face and he's just like... He's shocked. He He is is shocked. He's not shell shocked. Yeah, it was so good. And that's when you're just like, yeah, that's right. Because Iroh is jacked now. He's been working (laughs) out. He's been eating double helpings of rice. He's good to Uh go. Talk about satisfying payoffs. We've seen that building for a while. And there it is. He was able to break out. And that's our payoff. It is just so interesting that like we haven't seen a lot of Iroh in this season. But Mm -hmm. when we do, it's very strategic. It's in very small doses and it gives you just the right amount of information that you need. And then we see him next. We don't see him. We see the uh, the wake of destruction that he causes Mm -hmm. just to get himself free. And you're just like, oh, my God, because we all know he was powerful when he was captured by. I don't remember where that was, but it was around the winter solstice, I believe it was Mm -hmm. back then. Because we saw him like evade capture from Earth Kingdom soldiers. And, you know, he was pretty powerful then. But imagine when he's in shape. That's just like, (laughs) wow. Imagine when he's fit. Yeah. When he's not overweight and tired all the time (laughs) and flirting with June. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) The invasion force is making their way down the volcano when the airships catch up to them. Bombs fall from the sky and Toph bends a huge slab of earth above them for protection. The group watches as the airships continue toward the beach and are confused until they realize the plan is to destroy the submarines. There won't be a way to escape. Hakoda steps forward and tells his son that they can win with the Avatar on another day. They're the world's best chance in the long run, so they should escape on Appa, taking the young ones with them. The adults will stay behind and let themselves be captured as prisoners, but they will survive this battle by doing so. Tyro steps forward and tells them that he's had experience with Fire Nation prisons. It won't be easy, but they'll survive. The group watches as the airships destroy the submarines with more bombs, even with Toe and Du doing their best to intercept them with waterbending. The invasion force is trapped on the island, and there's nothing else to do but follow Hakoda's plan. The mechanist says goodbye to Teo. Pipsqueak helps the Duke onto Appa. Haru promises his father they'll be back for them. Hakoda tells his children that even though they lost the day, they've never been that close to victory, and that counts for something. Sokka and Katara tell their father goodbye and promise that they won't be apart for long this time. Aang waits for the others, crying softly on Appa. He stands up and thanks their friends and allies for being so brave and so strong. He promises them that he'll make it up to them, and they fly away. 
Azula watches them leave from a nearby airship. She doesn't try to pursue, knowing that they'll be back. As they fly away, Aang tells their group of friends that he knows a safe place for them to go, the Western Air Temple. Behind them, in the clouds, a war balloon follows unseen. In it stands Zuko, setting out to fulfill his destiny of helping the Avatar. You know what that last moment (gasps) with Zuko reminded me of? Yeah. Your favorite movie in the world, Treasure Planet. It does. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It had such like Treasure Planet vibes. I was like, that's so cool. It was really neat. Setting out for his new life at the end of the story. Yeah. And even the technology that he uses, that like singular blimp or like hot Uh air balloon, just like had that same kind of like, you could put that in space and it'd just be Treasure Planet. (laughs) Yep. Good call. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. That is our episode. That is Mm -hmm. the end of our two-parter. And once again, I just want to call attention to the fact that these two episodes are just an incredible lesson in writing about satisfaction. Yeah. Not only are we reunited with our friends from the previous seasons, we get to see our heroes preparing to use all the skills and abilities they've been building this whole time since the beginning of the adventure. And our friends and allies have leveled up their own abilities and technology and are using them in unique ways to fight against the Fire Nation. So even though it's a defeat at the end, it feels like they accomplished something. They were able to come together. They were able to rally. And like Akota said, they were the closest to victory they've ever been. And that counts for something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Greg, Mm -hmm. who is your MVP of this episode? Well, if we're talking about mirror imagery and last episode, I said it was Sokka. It's got to be Zuko today for this episode. It's got to be Zuko. It can't be anyone else. Zuko faced his father, stood his ground, his voice never wavered, his determination and perseverance really kind of like showcased themselves, and he managed to use lightning redirection. It's like absolutely amazing. Like the character arc that Zuko has gone through is now complete. Now he just has to convince Team Avatar that it's complete. (laughs) Right? I know he's all he has from here is like some housekeeping items, which we're going to see in the next couple episodes. But you're right. He has come full circle. He's completed the majority of his redemption arc and it was such a good payoff. And so, yes, for that reason, too, he has to be my MVP as well. Yes. What about the moral of the episode? Oh, this one's a little tougher. Let me let me chew on the episode for a minute here. I don't know. So much happens in this episode. Yeah, it's like I'm in the same spot. I don't really have a clear moral of the episode because so much is happening. So much gets developed. And actually, I think a lot of the the morals and the themes and the point of it all is delivered really well and clearly during the episode. Yeah. There isn't like much to extract from it. Right. We did start with a comedic, or as we like to call it, so maybe we could end with a comedic moral of the episode. Well, I don't know. Like, there's something in here about planning, I think. Like, it's on the tip of my tongue right now. Okay. It's like forming. I think it's like, I don't want to leave on a comedic moral of the episode. I want to have an actual moral of the episode. Because all I can hear right now in my head is, I get knocked down, (laughs) but I get up again. (laughs) Um... Okay, I think I got it. Okay. I think the moral of the episode is that the hardest battles are usually the ones worth fighting for. Oh, that's okay. 
Yep. Yep. Golf clap, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm here for another couple minutes. Uh, try the meatloaf. Be sure to <laughs> tip your podcasters. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So like it couldn't have been easy for Zuko to do what he did and stand up yeah. to his father. He felt he needed to and he absolutely did in order to begin his redemption in order to really kind of get to that next chapter. So he could have very easily not have confronted his father with this realization, Mm -hmm. busted his uncle out, and then, you know, tried to go catch up with Team Avatar and convince them that he is on their side now. But no, like he needed to do this. It was a difficult battle and he fought it and he won. At least someone we're rooting for won today. True. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's actually a really, really great moral to pull out of this episode because as I was watching it, there were a lot of elements to Zuko confronting his father, talking about his past and the impact of his father's actions, as well as the things that Zuko had to learn on his own. That reminded me a lot about healing from trauma and how oftentimes going to therapy and trying to heal the hurts in your past and to forgive the people who hurt you and to put it behind you takes Mm. so much work. And it is so hard and uncomfortable. And so the fact that Zuko was able to confront his father, remain strong, remain resolute, and know in his heart where he's meant to go from here. It was hard, but it was worth doing. Yeah, for sure. What a doozy of an episode, though. Yeah. I I went into this knowing it was going to be a great discussion because a lot of good things happen in this episode. But wow, we mm-hmm. had a really great discussion. We really did. I didn't realize everything that we were learning until we start talking about it. And that's why I really kind of appreciate yes. the format of our show and and how we go through all these details. And it's just like, it, it is. And I think a lot of our listeners have commented this. And I think it's just really kind of clicking for me now, my own show, but <laughs> where it is like reliving the episode, but just in a more audio format. So like mm-hmm. for me, the more I watch something, the more it just like, seeps into my brain and the more I can then extract out of it. So things like the symbolism with the lightning and then having that realization that he's using a technique that was taught to him by his uncle, who's been trying to teach him things this whole time about patience and being a better man and all of this stuff. It's just like, yep. once that snaps, it, oh man, it was just so good. What a what an emotional episode too. Wow. Incredibly. Yeah. Well, now that we are probably emotionally exhausted from yeah, discussing done. this episode, we're, we're just going to remind you all that if you're looking for a way to support us, there are multiple ways to do so. We love reading your reviews at the beginning of each episode. And you if do. you haven't written one and you want to, and you want to hear us read your review on the podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts, write us a five-star written review, and we'll be sure to read it here. If you're looking for other ways to support us, you can also head over to patreon.com slash avatar the podcast and join our hundred year war or just give us a couple of coins for weary travelers, whichever tier you feel inclined to pledge to. And also enjoy all the content that we have on Patreon, including secret podcast, Mm -hmm. doodle pages, AMAs. It's a good time over there. It really is. It's it's so much fun to interact with everyone in just a different way, different format. It's been a great time. It's been a great experience so far. So if you're not a part of it, I mean, I recommend joining it. I think it's pretty great. My opinion might be a little biased, but I think it's good stuff. I think it's great stuff. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also write us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com if you want to share your thoughts or your favorite characters or your moral of the episodes. You can do so over there. You can also tweet us at Podcast Avatar. 
And you can also check out Greg over on Twitch. Mm-hmm. That's right. You can go over to twitch.tv slash Booster Greg on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we're having a, a great old time. I'm pretty sure at this point, well, we might be still playing Resident Evil Village. I don't know. Maybe I've given up because it's so spooky. No, I think I've hit the spookiest part of it. But still, come on over. Hang out. Join us. If you're listening to this well after the fact that it came out, I'm sure I'm playing something great or doing something great. And if I'm not doing something great, just come by and say, hey, Greg, where's the great stuff? And I'll be like, <laughs> you promised me great stuff over here. Me great stuff. I demand great stuff. And uh, maybe you'll get it. Hopefully, if I could be clever at that point, you could also find me <laughs> over on Twitter or basically anywhere on the Internet at Booster Greg. So come say hi. Don't be a stranger. Yeah. And you can find me online at Acorn Bandit or Joyson Studio, which you can find on either Etsy or by going to Joyson's.com, which is J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com. I create enamel pins. I also have a list of all the stuff that I'm doing on my website. So if you go to joysons.com and add a slash pages slash acorn to that, you can see all my stuff. But once again, thank you for listening. Coming up next time. Aang needs a firebending master. And the combustion man combusts. All this and more next time on Avatar Avatar, the the podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. Thank you.